1 John chapter number 4 in your Bibles this morning. 1 John is toward the very end of the Bible there. In fact, if you are unfamiliar with the Bible, you go to the book of Revelation and work backwards there. It's just a handful of books, small books, back from Revelation. And there's the Gospel of John in the beginning of the New Testament. There's 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John toward the end of the New Testament. So make your way to 1st John chapter number 4. Once you found that, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read verses 7 and 8 together this year. These verses will be our theme verses all year long. And so let's, let's read them together. Here we go. Ready? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. The title of the sermon this year is our theme title. It's this, Love Works. Let's pray together. Lord, would you help us as we look at this topic and, Lord, get an idea of what the upcoming year is going to be. Lord, may we, may we get excited about having our love transformed into loving the way that you've called us to love. Lord, may broken relationships that we've given up on be renewed and restored. Lord, may uh, our neighbors that are cantankerous, co-workers that seem impossible, a boss who's mean and nasty, Lord, may you help us to learn how to love these people. And Lord, may you transform us and then turn around and transform this area through your love. Lord, help us this morning as we focus on this topic to set aside our premonitions, our preconceived ideas, and Lord, to come at this topic anew. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, each year, about June or July, I begin to pray and, and seek God's face about what the theme will be for the following year. Much of my preaching calendar revolves around what the theme is going to be, and many of our church events revolve around what the theme is going to be. And so, uh, the longer I prayed about it, uh, the more God made it very clear to me that he wanted uh, us to look at and emphasize and focus on this idea of God's love. Uh, God's love for us, God's love for others, God's love for the broken. As a child of God, we are to take on the attributes of our Heavenly Father. Uh, we are to become like our Heavenly Father. How many of you here ever catch yourself uh, in a mannerism that you picked up by one, either your mom or your dad? Okay, I catch myself and I'm like, knock it off. Stop it. I don't want to be like my dad. And I'll tell jokes and I'll say, That's my, it's my dad coming out. And, um, uh, you know, uh, dad jokes, right? You, you think they're dumb. You roll your eyes at them when you're 16. And then the moment your child's born, they just start falling out of your mouth. I, I, can't, I can't help it. Um, my dad likes to, to, to use puns, and now I find myself using puns. And I'm taking on, the older I get, I'm, I'm becoming more and more, for good or for worse, like my father. God has called us, as his children, to take on his attributes. God has called us to become like him. And the more we walk with our father, the more we spend time with our father, the more he rubs off on us, and the more like him we are. Just as God is love, God has called us to love. We are to love God. We are to love our neighbor. 
We are to love our family. We are to love the brethren, for good or for bad. We are to love the broken. We are even called, by Jesus Christ himself, to love our enemies. How important is the love of God in the life of the Christian? Mark chapter 12, verse 29 through 31, the Bible says, And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, this is the second greatest commandment, is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, Then listen to what Jesus said. There is none other commandment greater than these. There is not a greater commandment out there than loving God and loving others. That is the greatest commandment. Now, um, we pick a different theme every year and we base, uh, like I said, many of our church events and much of the preaching around that topic. I can't think of a greater theme for our church to have than the love of God. Godly love is not only important for the Christian. Let's just be uh, let's just be honest this morning. Godly love is a very difficult thing for Christians to uh, Christians to master. It is hard to love the way that God loves. I, I imagine Jesus hanging up on the cross, and the chief priests who have been a thorn in his side his entire ministry, walking back and forth from the cross. Mocking him, blaspheming him, shaking their head and their fists at him, uh, wagging their head and saying, if thou be the son of God, then come down off that cross. He saved others, but himself he cannot save. And they mocked him. They made fun of him. And Jesus looked up to heaven. And you know what he said? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. God loved even when he wasn't loved. God loved the lovable, God loved the unlovable, and God has called us to do that. Can I just say this morning, I'm not there yet. I'm just not there yet. I want to be there. Boy, I want when people mistreat me, I want to just pour love all over them. That's what I want, but that's not what I do. Anybody with me this morning? How many think that we might need this theme this year? And get our love fixed, learning how to love others. Uh, I'm not always very good at loving the lovable. I'm not always very good at loving those who treat me well. Somebody does something nice for me, and you know what? Enough people do nice things for you, you just begin to shrug your shoulders at it, and, and you even get to a place where you begin to expect it. Hey, if that's where I am, if that's where you are, shame on us. We, we, gotta, we, we, we must learn to love Others. We must learn to love God first and foremost. We must learn to love others after that. Most of us, in fact, all of us, do not selflessly love everyone all the time. We put our own fleshly desires ahead of what God wants for us. We think first, first, what will advance our own cause, our own well-being. We think of that well before we think of others. Even the best one here at it, whoever that may be, that person probably doesn't defer to his enemies, his or her enemies. God has called us to love. And in 2020, if you will come with a teachable heart, 
if I will come with a teachable heart, then God will take our broken down, perverted, worldly idea of love, and he will replace it with the authentic version of true, heavenly love. What will the results be? Well, a deeper, richer relationship with your God. For the married folk in here, intimacy in your marriage like you've never experienced before. For parents, a renewed relationship with your child, whether they are still living at home or are grown and gone. You say, well, I've already have a good relationship uh, with my child. Well, it can be even better. On Sunday mornings in 2020, we will be looking at four sermon series that will help us understand the scripture on how we are to love. Beginning next Sunday, we will begin with our first series, The Properties of Love. What are the properties of love? Then we'll move on to the people I love. Who has God called me to love? The power of love. We'll see what power lies behind a love that is pure and righteous and right. When we love the way God has called us to love and we replace God's love with our broken down version of love, boy, it, 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 it breaks through barriers that we never thought could be broken through. And then the fourth series we'll look at in 2020 on Sunday mornings is the pattern of love. Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of how to love. And we'll lay out in the second series the people that we ought to love. We'll come back in the fourth series and see how Jesus loved those very people. And what impact that had on those people that he loved. And so uh, we'll let Jesus Christ be our example on how we are to love. Throughout these series, my prayer is that God will renew your desire to love His way. The sermon this morning is meant to whet your appetite and excite you for what God can do in your heart in the upcoming year if you will open your heart to Him. By the way, on Sunday evenings uh, uh, through 2020, with the exception of a couple of series that are already planned, uh, on Sunday evenings in 2020, we're going to take the books of 1 John Second John and Third John, and we're going to go through them verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept, and, and we're going to look at how uh, we are commanded to love, but instead of doing it topically like we'll do Sunday morning, we'll do it expositorily on Sunday evening. There will probably be overlap, but you know what? I know this. Um, I need to be told more than once all the time. Right there with me? Um, uh, I have to be told over and over and over again before I finally get something down. And so be here. Be here Sunday mornings throughout the year. Be here Sunday evenings throughout the year. and Let the Word of God radically transform how you love. This morning we're going to look at this topic of love works. We're going to consider four truths about God's love uh, 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 with our theme this year, love works. Let's jump in. Number one, if you have a bulletin, on the back of that bulletin is a fill-in-the-blank outline. I would encourage you to get a pen. And take notes, and every now and then I say something quotable. If it's good, I probably got it from somewhere else. All right? I don't always give credit, but if it's real quotable, uh, then it probably came from somewhere else. Every now and then something slips off the tongue that's good, but uh, even a, what is it, what's the phrase, even a blind squirrel finds a nut here and there. So, um, uh, But uh, take notes and write down the things that are relevant to you that will help you. Uh, uh, later as you review the message uh, at home, meditate on it. Notice point number one of the message this morning, love's author. 
loves author. Now, I'm not going to be in 1 John 4 much this morning because we're going to focus in 1 John. I don't want to steal thunder from later sermons. But let's look at verse number 7 of 1 John 4. Notice here it says, Beloved, let us love one another. Now, Paul, or rather, John here is writing to Christians, talking about how they are to love the brethren. They're to love other Christians. Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is of who? God. Where does love originate? It didn't originate in a Hollywood film. It didn't originate the first time you saw that girl in the second grade or that guy in the second grade. It didn't originate at the wedding altar somewhere. It didn't originate even in a delivery room when someone gave birth. Love originated with God. God is love, the Bible tells us. Love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Among the first glimpses we get of our God is that of a seeker. Adam, he said in Genesis 3, where art thou? In commenting upon this question to his Bible class, a teacher said, you can never hear a a preacher uh, if you read as though God were a policeman. You can never rather be a preacher if you read it as though God were a policeman. Adam, where art thou? It wasn't as though God was a policeman. Read it as though God were a broken-hearted father looking for a lost child. Adam, Adam, where art thou, Adam? His, his heart of love for Adam was broken. And, and, and every day God came down in the cool of the day to walk with Adam and Eve, to fellowship with them, to love on them. And God showed up at the appointed time to meet Adam at the appointed place. And Adam wasn't there. So God went looking for Adam. Oh, he knew where Adam was. And he asked for Adam, Adam, where art thou? But sin had hurt the relationship and had brought a, a, a ridge, a, rather, a divide between Adam and his God. And God did not come into the garden looking for Adam as a policeman with a stick or a taser to somehow punish Adam. He came into the garden knowing Adam had failed with a broken heart searching to renew and right that relationship. Take your Bibles with me over to John chapter number 20. I want to show you how much God loves me and how much God loves you. you. You're here this morning and you say, well, I, I don't know that God loves me. I have been away from the Lord. I have misbehaved. I have, uh, I have uh, ran from the Lord. I have lived a blasphemous lifestyle. I have been inconsistent and cold and, and maybe even lukewarm in my Christian life. And I, I think God is angry with me. I think God is upset with me. I think God has put me on the shelf or set me to the side. Pastor, if I'm honest with myself this morning, my priorities have been out of place and I've been selfish as you described earlier and surely God doesn't love me. And I'm here to tell you this morning before we look at Luke or John chapter 20, I'm here to tell you this morning that God loves you regardless of how you behave. Listen, uh, we're going to have church this evening. Can I tell you where God wants you to be? He wants you to be right back here, your health permitting. But if you're home tonight sitting on the couch with a bag of popcorn watching TV, God loves you just as much as if you were here. Now, he still wants you here, but that doesn't change God's love for you. 
God loves you all the same. Uh, you say, Pastor, you don't know the sin habits I have. I still cuss like a sailor. Uh, I, I still smoke like I have a chimney coming out of my head. You say, Pastor, I've got uh, uh, addictions and problems. And, and I yelled at my wife on the way to church this morning. And, and Pastor, uh, surely God doesn't love me. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God does not base his love for you on who you are. He bases his love for you on who he is. And boy, I'm thankful for that. Because if that wasn't the case, God would spend a whole lot more time not loving me than he would loving me. Look at Luke, or rather John 20, and we see an instance of someone who is not really behaving the way they ought to. And God shows that person the ultimate expression of love. John chapter 20, look at verse 25. The other disciples therefore said unto him, this is Thomas, we have seen the Lord, the risen Lord. But he said unto them, except I shall see... In his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. You see, Jesus had risen, and he, uh, from the dead, he had been crucified and buried and, 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 and risen from the tomb, and he had appeared unto the other disciples, but Thomas was not there. And Thomas was a cold, calculated, uh, a competent person. He was a task-oriented, reserved individual, and, and, and he cared more about procedures, and, and he was uh, probably born in the state of, of uh, was it Missouri, the show me state? That's probably where he was born, right? I mean, U.S. didn't exist, but he probably got in a time machine from Missouri and went back. I don't know, but that's how he behaved, and, and here he is. He comes back, and all the other disciples are bouncing off the wall with excitement. They say, we have seen the risen Lord, and he goes, no, you didn't. And you guys are messing with me again. And he says, no, 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 really, we saw him. And he says, oh, come on, until I see with my own eyes the prince in his hands. And I touch with my fingers. I put them in the prince. And I place my hand in the side, his side, where that javelin was put by those centurions. Until I'm able to do that, I will not believe. Can I tell you... If I was uh, Jesus with my version of love, I would have seen that unbelief and I would have said, Thomas, you know what? If you're not going to believe me after I told you over and over and over again that I was going to die and raise again, if you're not going to believe me, then you know what? I'll go find someone else to be an apostle. Hey, I invested three years or three and a half years of my life into you. Hit the road, Bucky. We'll get someone else. That's not what he did. Look what Jesus does. He waits till Thomas is back. The other disciples, look at verse 26. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace unto you. Then said he to Thomas, Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. Thomas, be not faithless, but believing. I imagine at this point Thomas is on his knees on the floor with tears running down his cheeks. Thomas answered his son unto him, My Lord, my Lord and my God. You know what Jesus did to Thomas when he was not being who he should have been? Jesus loved Thomas. You know why? Because God is love. God is love. Now, make no mistake about it. Love takes different forms. Love is not just letting people get away with whatever they want. 
Sometimes God love, God's love is firm and strict and chastening. Other times God's love is shown in the beauty of a sunrise or a sunset or the smell of a flower. Or the smell of, a, of something from your childhood God sends your way to remind you that he's with you. But love comes in many forms. But, but God is love. Love's author, number two, notice love's absence. Love's absence. Take your Bible over to 2 Timothy chapter Number three, if you're new to our church this morning, we use our Bibles a lot. Uh, we believe God's word has the answers to life's problems. And we, we want you to read the Bible with us. We want you to read it at home. Uh, we'll talk about that more in a moment. We have a devotional we're going to offer uh, some of you this morning. And we want you to walk with the Lord. We want you to read his word. We want you to understand it. We believe it is, while it was written uh, uh, thousands of years ago, it is just as relevant to today as any book could be. Uh, it, um, it is as relevant as though it was written for today's time. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and look at verse number 1. The Bible says here, this is Paul speaking to Timothy who is a pastor. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Look here, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. Truce breakers, or people who can't keep their word, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Verse 4, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Now, verse 4 begins to fade away from folks outside of the walls of the church and begins to focus on people within the church. Look at verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. You know what these verses are saying? You know what Paul is telling his preacher boy Timothy here? He's saying that in the last days, before Jesus comes back, boy, people outside of the walls of the church, their love is going to be broken. And that's going to affect the people within the church. They're going to have the form of godliness. But it's just form. It's not real. They look the part. They talk the part. They act the part. But it's not, it's not true. It doesn't ring true. It's hollow. Their love will be broken. At best, it will be contaminated. Now, there are three Bible words for love found in the New Testament. And the Greek root words, and again, stay with me here. I'm going somewhere with this. When a preacher starts using the word Greek, people go to sleep. So stay, pay attention on purpose for me here for a minute. The word phileo means brotherly love. The city of Philadelphia, uh, a city set upon a hill, a city of brotherly love rather. Uh, agape is divine love and eros is marital love. Here in 2 Timothy, the root word for love is only found this one time in the Bible. And here's what that word love means. Go back to verse uh, number, uh, let's see, verse number uh, three, verse number two. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Lovers of their own selves. That root word for lovers there means this. It means selfish, self-centered love. Selfish, self-centered love. Paul tells Timothy in the last days, people are going to love, but it won't be God and it won't be others. 
Paul tells Timothy that at the very end of the church age, which I believe that we're in, by the way, when I read through that list in 2 Timothy 3, does that not sound like the world that we live in today? Is that not describing where we're at? People don't keep their word. They just don't. I go out, knock on doors, and I invite people to church. If I have 20 people tell me they'll be in church on Sunday, one will show up, maybe. People don't keep their word. Uh, uh, people are far more concerned with entertainment than they are taking care of their neighbor. Boy, you can't get people off their cell phones. You can't get people off their video games. People binge watch Netflix or Amazon for hours at a time. And what? While other people around them are falling apart. And all they care about is what happens in the next episode of the show they're watching. Boy, they love pleasure more than they love God. And America and really Western culture as a whole is drunk on entertainment. Drunk on it. Why? Love is absent. God's love is absent. As we look around today, we can't, we can see, uh, uh, that this is where we are. Divorce is at an all-time high. Why? Love is broken. Sex outside of marriage has become the norm. Why? Love is broken. Pornography is now consumed by one in three men. Why? Love is broken. Teen suicide rates are at an all-time high. Why? Love is broken. Church attendance across our country is at an all-time low. Why? Love is broken. Our culture is filled with selfies. Is there not a more narcissistic sounding word than the word selfie? Hold up, hold up. Oh, i got to make sure I turn my head away so my bald spot doesn't show. Hold on a minute. 13-year-old girls run to the bathroom to put their makeup on and so they can stand there and, you know, pucker up their lips just right. And... Is there not a more... Look, if you take selfies in here, I'm picking on you a little bit. It is narcissistic. There's nothing wrong with taking one. But, you know, look, I sat on an airplane once flying uh, somewhere, and the girl in front of me had to been 25. I think in that two-and-a-half-hour flight, she took like 100 pictures of herself. It's loving me. It's loving me. Now, there's nothing wrong with using the front-facing camera to take a picture of yourself, but you better check your heart. You better check your heart. We live in a day and time... Uh, where uh, uh, selfies and social media, where many people push the promotion of themselves ahead of God and others. Why is this done? Love is broken. In our culture, families divide over money. Why? Love is broken. Christian, you and I are called to live in this world, but we are not called to be influenced by this world. God and his word want to teach you how to love. The world and its systems want to teach you how to lust. How to lust. I'm just going to be very honest with you this morning. My version of love is not where this book wants it to be. God is growing me. He's teaching me. He's showing me, hey, that right there is selfish, self-centered love. It's 2 Timothy 3, 2 love. It's not godly love. It's not deferential love. It's not God first and others second uh, first uh, love. It's you first and everything else after you love. And God says this morning, he says, love is absent in the last days. And I need my people to step up and show the world that love works. Love's author, love's absence. Number three, notice love's action. Love's actions. 
In order to love someone God's way, we must reshape our thinking about what love is. Now, again, this is just meant to be an introduction to the year. Trust me, as the year goes along, uh, the points being developed this morning will be far uh, further developed, deeper developed throughout the year. I encourage you to make a point to be here every service of 2020. Notice letter A, it is selfless. It is selfless. Can we go over to maybe the greatest verse in the Bible, John chapter 3? In verse 16. Boy, I was doing some reading about John 3.16 in preparation for the sermon. There was a, a famous preacher. Uh, I, I don't remember his name. Um, I looked him up. And, and back in his day, he was a big deal. Uh, but um, uh, he said that he never preached a sermon directly on John 3.16 because he didn't feel qualified to do so. He felt that the verse was too big and too weighty and too heavy and too perfect. He didn't want to, he didn't want to botch it or mess it up. And I, I understand that, but God put it in His Word and we're going to look at it this morning. Look here, look at how selfless God's love is for us. It says, the beginning of the verse, for God so loved the world that He gave. That He gave. You know, lust takes, love gives. Love gives. And it gives no matter the cost. No matter the cost. You say, well, pastor, there's a limit on how much resources I can part with. I understand that. And I'm not encouraging anyone to be foolish this morning. You need to bathe your giving, your love giving in prayer. And you need to make sure that you have peace with God and a green light from God before you do so. But can I tell you this? God spared no expense saving my soul. Spared no expense saving your soul. You know, God even looked down on earth and he saw the most crooked, filthy individuals. He saw a Jeffrey Epstein type of person who's one of the most deplorable people to ever walk this planet. And you know what God did for Jeffrey Epstein? He sent Jesus to walk on planet earth and to hang on a cross. And Jesus Christ became every sinful deed that man ever did. Even though he knew Jeffrey Epstein would reject him. And we would reject that love. The Lord gave. Love's actions. Do you love the way God wants you to love? Well, question number one is, am I selfless in what I'm trying to accomplish? There are people who will love the right way, but love for the wrong motive. Oh, they give love because they're playing the long game, what they can get out of it. Do you love people that can never give you anything back? Hey, do you love people who you know will never be nice to you? Do you love people who you know will only kick you in the mouth and bad talk you uh, because that's who they are and that's what they've done? Do you love with no intention of ever receiving anything in return? Love is selfless. God gave Jesus on the cross knowing that the majority of folks would turn their nose up to it and reject it. And he said, I'm not loving them because of who they are. I'm loving them because I am selfless and I am love. And God has called us to love others the same way. Not only is it selfless, it is sacrificial. It is sacrificial. Back in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, what did he give? That he gave his only begotten son. Oh, wow. He gave his only begotten son. Who was the only begotten son of God? Jesus Christ. I'm a dad. I have two precious children, 
Matthew and April. Matthew's a 10-year-old boy, and uh, Matthew and I love to do things together. We, uh, we ride down the road and we talk about uh, boy humor that uh, the girls don't appreciate very much. Um, we go to baseball games together. We watch sports together. Um, we're buddies. I can't imagine the relationship that God had with Jesus. You see, because between me and Matthew, there is an imperfect relationship because I'm a sinner and he's a sinner. But between God the Father and God the Son, there was no sin. Boy, their relationship was as perfect as perfect could be. And God looked down at me and you and he saw a bunch of imperfect, broken, really terrible people. Me, on my best day, I'm still a pretty bad guy compared to God. How about you? God looked at Jesus, who he loved and had a perfect relationship with. And then he looked at me and you. We had, through Adam, turned our nose up at God and chosen evil, chosen sin. And God looked at Jesus and said, I sure love you, but I sure love them. I'm going to need to send you to earth so you can become one of them. And I'm going to need you to hang on a tree for their sin. And then I'm going to need to be able to take all of their sin. And I'm going to need to turn you into their sin. And me, I'm going to have to turn my back on you. And my relationship with you for a short time is going to be broken so that I can restore my relationship with just a few of them. I need you to die for all of them so that I can save just a few of them. I want to save all of them, but not all of them are going to choose me. And Jesus looked at God and said, okay, I'll do it. Jesus came to earth, he lived a perfect life, and he got to the Garden of Eden, or rather the Garden of Gethsemane there, and he's sweating great drops of blood. Doctors tell us that the only way you're able to sweat blood is if you're under so much stress that blood flows into your sweat glands. And there Jesus has blood coming out of his head. He's stressed not about the physical pain, not about the emotional pain, but rather about the the, the, the spiritual pain of having his relationship severed with his father, even if it was just for a few brief moments. And he said this, he said, let that cup please pass for me, but not my will, thy will be done. Jesus hung on that cross and God gave up that perfect relationship with Jesus. Because why? Because he loves you and he loves me. How does a person look at that love and thumb their nose at it? How does a person truly grasp what God gave up for me and you and say, I don't want it? How does a person look at that and say, I'm good enough to get into heaven on my own? Clearly not, or he wouldn't have sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. All he wants is for you to believe. On a practical point to me and you today, you cannot say that you love someone if you're not willing to sacrifice for them. If you're not willing to to, to, to give until it hurts, boy, look at your love today. Are you sacrificing to better your own cause or are you sacrificing to better the cause of others? Love's actions, it's selfless, it is sacrificial. Notice letter C, it is stable. It is stable. Check your Bibles over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Hold your place in John 3. 1 Corinthians 13. And look with me in verse 6 through 8. Now, there's a different word here than love used. It's the word charity. And charity and love are in the same family. Uh, uh, they carry many of the same attributes throughout the year. We'll break down the difference between charity and love. But for the sake of the message this morning, uh, we'll, we'll treat them as though 
uh, they are the same idea. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6. It says, speaking of charity or love, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. It says about charity or love that it beareth all things, it believeth all things, it hopeth all things, it endureth, endureth all things. Look at verse 8. Read those next three words out loud together with me. Ready? Charity never faileth. It never fails. Why? It's stable. It's stable. I am called to love you regardless of how you treat me. I am called to be charitable your direction if I'm going to do it God's way. And it doesn't matter whether you're good to me, you're bad to me. God has called me to love the brethren, to love those who are saved, to love the church. As the pastor of White Oak Baptist Church, I have a covenant of kindness, and I am to be kind and loving and caring uh, for all of you. Am I perfect at it? No, I'm not. Some of you here are well aware that I'm not perfect at it, but the Lord is doing a work in me. He's bettering me. He's showing me, and he's going to show me throughout 2020 how I can do better at it, how I can be stable in that love, and God is calling you to do the same thing. Boy, next to stable, you could really pencil in the word patient. Love is patient. You know why? It looks at the long game. It sees the long game. Let me speak to those of you here this morning that have adult children that are away from the Lord. There's probably 10, 11, 12 families here that way this morning. Can I, can I just say this to you? Uh, my heart breaks for you. I'm not throwing stones at any one of you. My children are still little. I'm not there. I may be there one day. I pray I'm not, but I may be. I in no way condemn you or look down on you. I, I pray for you. I hurt for you. You know, there are, has to be times where you, your flesh wants to throw in the towel and give up on that child. Especially the dads. You know what? I've loved you. I spent 18 years sacrificing to put a roof over your head and food in your mouth. I, uh, I did everything I could to give you a good education. I, I, uh, I took you to practices. I loved on you. I, 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 uh, I, I tried my best to teach you right from wrong. And the way you're living your life is totally thumbing your nose up at everything I ever gave you. If that's how you want to live, then you just go on in the world. I'm done with you. I don't care about you anymore. You may say those words or want to say those words, but the truth is deep down inside, if, you, if that's your child, you never stop loving that child. Can I tell you this? Love is patient. It's stable. Now, again, love isn't always giving. Sometimes love is punishing. Sometimes love is chastening. And you have to learn how to draw those lines. You have to learn how that plays out. Godly counsel and studying of Scripture will help you to get there. But love never faileth. Charity never faileth. Love's actions. Number four, lastly, notice. Love's ability. Love's ability. Now, our theme this year, love works. It, it is a play on words. I don't know if any of you have thought this through yet and figured it out. It's still so new to you. Love works in that it's effective. But love works in that love gets to work. Love gets to work. Um, love works when you work it. Love works when you put it to work. Uh, someone put it this way. Uh, love is not an adjective. I'm in love. Love is a verb. A verb. True love is put into practice. Can I say this to you this morning? Uh, The feeling of love follows the action of love. There are times where I don't feel like I love my job. But then I get up and do my job. And you know what? 
the feeling follows the action. There are times where I'm just grouchy and selfish and stubborn and in a bad mood, and I don't feel like I love my wife and kids. But I have to get up and do those things that love my wife and kids, and the feelings come behind it. Boy, love only works if you work it. You know why we don't really love other God and others the way we ought to? Because we're too busy loving ourselves. And I'll just tell you what I've learned, and, and science backs this up. If you were selfish, if you were selfish in your love, selfish people are miserable people. To the degree that you are selfish, to that same degree you will be miserable. God has called us not to be selfish, but to be selfless. And when we love others the way God has called us to love, boy, God's love, that ability, the power behind that love, it begins to see true results. Letter A notice, it converts. It converts. Go back to John chapter 3 and verse 16 with me. We see the end result of God's love. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son... What are the results of God loving the world and giving up His only begotten Son? Look at the rest of the verse. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you know who I'm able to deeply trust? I'm able to deeply trust those who I know deeply love me. Boy, I hope you're listening this morning. I'm going to share something with you that's a little profound. It's going to require you paying very close attention. But if you can wrap your mind around what I'm about to say, boy, someone here this morning might get saved off of what I'm about to say. Someone here might take their relationship with the Lord to another notch if they'll listen closely to what I'm about to say. I deeply trust those who I know deeply love me. The fuller I understand... God's love for me, the deeper, rather the easier it is for me to trust my God. There was a day as a little boy where I became so overwhelmed by God's love that I bowed my head and I began to weep. And I said, God, if you could love me enough to let your son hang on a cross... In my place, you're a God that is worthy of my trust. You're a God that is worthy of me believing in you. You're a God who is worthy of me putting my total reliance in for you. Hey, the love of God has changed me. It has converted me from a hell-bound sinner to a heaven-bound saint. Why? Because I put my faith and trust in a God who didn't just say He loved me, but sent Jesus to the cross to show me He loved me. It converted me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, If any man be in Christ, how do you be in Christ? You be in Christ the same way Noah was in the ark, or Rahab was in that home when the walls of Jericho fell. You get in Christ by believing in Him. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You know what the love of God has done for me? It's converted me. Somebody in your life needs to be converted. Somebody in your life has been hard to get along with. Somebody in your life has been impossible. 
Boy, if you can learn to love them the way God loves you, you think there's a chance that the power of God's love could convert that person? It converts. Letter B, notice. It cleanses. It cleanses. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It's a verse many of us here are familiar with. It says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I wonder how many of you here this morning have ever been in the same spot that I oftentimes find myself. I spend time each day, I try to spend time each day confessing my sin to God. I get down on my knees or I'll go for a walk or I'll sit in a chair in my office. And I'll go through and I'll confess my sin to God and I'll tell him in great detail where I have fallen, where I have done wrong. More than once, I have stopped my praying. And I've been in awe how God could forgive me yet again. I just don't understand it. I fail Him over and over and over again. I fail others over and over and over again. And each time I get down on my knees, He forgives me. You know how He does that? He does that because He loves me. If He didn't love me, He wouldn't keep forgiving me. God deeply loves me. He is patient with me. Aren't you glad for the patience of God, your direction this morning? God looks down the road in my life and he sees a plan for me. And he says, I'm going to keep forgiving you because I have a plan into who I want you to be. Boy, when we love others and we do it God's way, it ought to bring a cleansing effect to that relationship. Letter C, lastly, notice it conquers. Let's finish the sermon in Romans chapter 8 this morning. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. And I could have given you seven or eight more sub-points here for sake of time. We'll keep it to three. We'll look at some of the other concepts in the year to come. I can't really think of a better way to finish the sermon out than with Romans chapter 8, one of the most poetic and beautiful passages in the Bible. Look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, that's not true, verse 37 says, rather, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Love conquers. It conquers my sin. It conquers your sin. 
It conquers the sin uh, in that wayward adult child. It conquers that habit that you can't seem to crack or get around. It conquers a splintered and broken marriage. Not everyone accepts our attempt to love, but we will not answer to God for how others respond. We will answer for what we did with the love that God has entrusted to each of us. We finished the sermon this morning. With this, for God, the greatest lover, so loved the greatest degree, the world, the greatest number, that he gave the greatest act, his only begotten son, the greatest gift, that whosoever, the greatest invitation, believeth the greatest simplicity, in him, the greatest person. Should not perish the greatest deliverance, but the greatest difference. Have the greatest certainty, everlasting life, the greatest possession. If you are saved today, do you know why? Because love works. If you're here this morning and you've not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, then why don't you let God's love go to work in your life? Why not open up your heart's door and let his love convert you and cleanse you? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. How many here this morning say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a time in my life where God's love went to work in my heart. I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I have believed. I have accepted that free gift of eternal life. Pastor, I can look back in my life and see a moment where I put my faith in Jesus. I am certain that I have done that. If that's you this morning and you've known that, done that, would you just indicate that with an uplifted hand for me? You say, I know I've put my faith in Jesus. You can put your hands down. If you're here this morning and you haven't done that, I appreciate your honesty in not raising your hand. Can I invite you to invite Jesus into your life? Boy, John 3 couldn't be any more clear. You just need to believe. That's it. That's it. Romans chapter 10 verse 13 says this. It says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He just wants you to call by faith. And ask him to save your soul. To rescue you from hell. Rescue you to heaven. What are you waiting for? Boy, God the Father sacrificed God the Son on the cross. So that you wouldn't have to be condemned to hell. He put Jesus through hell for you. So that you could have eternal life with him. All he expects is your faith. Boy, that thief hung on the cross next to Jesus and he didn't have any good works to offer. He didn't have any religion to offer, but he had faith. And he looked over at Jesus next to him and he said, Remember me when you enter into your kingdom. You know what that man was saying? He's saying, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you're dying for me. I believe in you. Jesus looked back at the man and he said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The Lord isn't looking for any righteousness. He's looking for your faith.
Will you call on the name of Jesus right where you are? Will you ask him to take away your sin? Will you ask him to give you that gift of eternal life? Right there in the pew, will you just pray this prayer with me? Just say, under your breath, just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I know my sin puts you on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. I believe in you and you alone as my way to heaven. Save my soul. In your name.